when I graduated from high school, uh, we had a rule in our high school. This was 1900, none of your business, but uh, <laughs> we had a rule in our high school that your hair couldn't be but a certain length and everything else. And so my friend Ray Medina and I decided that we wanted to see how far we could go with getting our hair long uh, leading up to graduation. And uh, Coach Milstead, who was the vice principal, who carried the biggest paddle God ever allowed a vice principal to carry. Uh, but I like Coach Milstead, and he, for some reason he happened to like me. I, I think it's because I never got sent to his office, but I heard testimonies of those who had been there. And uh, so by the fear of God and the fear of Coach Milstead, I lived my life. Uh, but uh, I remember we started growing our hair, and we had to figure out what to do. Now, this is an admission that is not cool, Okay. This is not a cool admission. But when your life goal is to see how long your hair can get, this is about as good as it gets. So I started pushing it back behind my ears and spraying it down with my mom's hairspray because there was no men's hairspray in that day. You know, and there weren't hair dryers, so your hair just kind of went, and it just was there. And then in the back, the girl I was dating said, if you'll take curlers and turn it under in the back, so I'd get up in the morning and I would curl my hair under so it would touch the top of my collar but not come down. The only problem was when I went to PE and sweated, it didn't work too well. But at graduation, this was how defined I was. I mean, honest to goodness, I was not saved. I was in the church. This is how just, this is how much of a knucklehead I really was. At graduation, my goal, honest to goodness, my goal, this is it. This was my life purpose. All right. My goal was to take my hair from behind my ears and put it right here and flip it to the back of my collar and go by the principal and get my diploma and see if he could do anything about it. What a goal for life. I mean, I'm surprised I'm even breathing. If, you know, with that, with that kind of goal, I mean, you know, you know my, I, I, I don't even know what I was thinking. I don't even know why I thought that was cool. I have no idea why I thought that was just something worth living for and, and thinking about and having conversations about. And, and quite honestly, I don't know why I wasted your time telling you that, but <laughs> here's what I know has happened to us in our society. Because education is important, and it is. And education is important not just to get guys and gals to pass tests, but to know how to live life. And, I learned a lot by rote to pass a test to get through a class that I don't remember a thing about because passing the test was the goal, not learning. And sometimes that happens in our school systems. And we, say, we just want to graduate them. We just want to graduate. We, you know, if we can get our kid to graduate high school and if, if they can graduate college, well, in today's economy, what that means is they get a degree, you get a student loan, somebody else you hope will pay for it, and they move back in your house. That's what it means. Because they can't get a job. Because in many ways, we are equipping people to do nothing that works and not equipping people to think and to have drive and to have purpose in their life. And so when, when I think about graduation, here's what I always think about. I think about weddings. I, I have done weddings where the bride has had a $10,000 Vera Wang dress on and they've not 
listen to one thing anybody told them about marriage. And all I do when I stand there is say, I give it two years. Because we invest so much. Oh, we got to have the flowers and we got to have the reception. When Terry and I got married, we had a little bowl of mints and one cake. And everybody was happy. Now we got to outdo everybody. And the, the dress has got to be, and you got to have 87 bridesmaids because that's how many close friends you have that you will never talk to again after that wedding. Some of you have been there. <laughs> and we put all the emphasis on, on the wedding ceremony, which, if the preacher is good, takes 20 minutes. And we never put an emphasis on the life of that couple after they walk away from that wedding ceremony and that reception and how they're going to live together and love one another for the rest of their lives. I, I see graduation being that way. We put all the emphasis on if my kid can just graduate, if my kid can just graduate. But what are they going to do after they graduate if they don't have a purpose? If they don't have a goal in mind? If they don't have something they want to do with their lives and are passionate about doing it? There are members of, of uh, our extended family that still don't know what they're going to do when they grow up. And some of them are in their 20s and some of them are in their 50s and they don't know what they're going to do when they grow up. Because they won't grow up. So I want to talk to you about having a purpose. Because I can take you and show you in 23 years of pastoring and in being in ministry since 1972, I can take you and show you some great success stories. I mean some young men and women that are walking with God, that are making a difference. I can take you to a member of the Georgia Supreme Court that came through my youth ministry. He was the only African-American kid in my youth ministry. And the difference that he's making, his love for God while he's serving in a very significant role. I can take you and show you the head of multi-million dollar corporations that came through my youth ministry. Guys that had dads that tried to kill their moms and they stood for Christ and they made a difference. And I can also take you and show you some very tragic stories and the label on that life could be what could have been and what should have been. So I want you to turn to Psalm 101 and and, and I, I, I'm going to ask you to listen. And moms and dads, I'm going to ask you to listen. Single adults, I'm asking you. Grandparents, because these are words that need to be followed if we're going to be successful. These are words from David. Over the top of this chapter in my Bible is written this phrase, a vow of integrity. A vow of integrity. But this is the difference between a purposeless, aimless life and a life with purpose. And so I'm going to ask you to, to take some good notes because what this is, this is a good self-evaluation psalm about your public life and your private life, about your conduct, your character, how you live your life. It, it's a mirror, it's a picture of what a person with a purpose looks like. Look at verse 1. I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, Lord. I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way 
When will you come to me? I will walk within my house. Now that's an important phrase. When I'm home, when nobody's looking, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Put that sign on the front of your television and on the front of your computer. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. Now these eight verses are David's philosophy of life. Everybody needs to have a philosophy. Garrett talked about the fact that that he needed a life verse at his senior recognition. You know, he went looking, what's your philosophy? What's your life verse? Mine is 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservant. When I was in my 20s, my life verse actually came to me from a letter that Terry wrote to me when I was in my first youth ministry position at First Baptist Mariana, Florida, and I decided I hated young people. My first week, they sent home four kids from choir tour for smoking marijuana, and I had to be at the bus station to meet them. And I thought, my daddy would have killed me if I came home like that from a church choir tour. And Terry wrote me a letter, and she included in it 1 Timothy 4.12 in the Living Bible. And it said, don't let anyone think little of you because you're young but be their example in your faith, your love, and your clean thoughts. In other words, if you want respect at 17, 18, 19, 20, if you want respect, then act like you ought to get it. Don't demand respect if you don't live a life that is respectful. If you ignore people, don't expect to be respected. If you treat people unkindly, don't expect to be treated kindly. You get what you give. And if you and I live with purpose to be an instrument of Christ so that people do not look down on us, but they look at us and say, now that's what I want my kid to become. You become the person you want your kids to become. And don't blame anybody else for whether you're there or not. It's your choice, your option. So I want you to look. There are only two points, but a lot of points under it. First of all, his personal life, and I want you to see these. First of all, his resolve, his resolve. David had a resolve. Uh, the Resolution for Men books on sale today, and, and you're going to be able to get it. There's a resolution in his heart. There's a resolve in his life. He, he has a commitment. These are his goals and his objectives. When you read David in Psalm 101, if you didn't know anything about him, Except this psalm, this is what you know. He's not going to play around the edges. He's not going to see what he can get away with. He's not going to hang around with people that will pull him down. 
He's not going to compromise in his life. In fact, he's going to avoid those people at all costs. He has a resolve to live a life that is honorable and a life of integrity. This psalm could be called a psalm of wills and shalls because 10 times in this psalm, he says, I will. See, if you're just thinking about it, you may never get around to it. But when you decide to say, I will do this, I will be this kind of person, then you've already eliminated a lot of the choices that the world throws at you because you've already made your choice. He, he says, I will. And there are resolutions and declarations. Joshua said, as for me is my house. David says, as for me, and he lists five resolutions. And then he has seven kinds of people that he's going to avoid and he makes a declaration. So let's look at the resolutions. First of all, and we're just going to go through these. First of all, he says, I will sing, verse 1. In other words, he was going to be a person of worship. He says, I will give heed. He's going to be a person who listened, who paid attention. I will walk. He was going to be a person of direction. He, he wasn't just going to wander. He was going to walk. He was going somewhere. I will set Verse 3, he's a person with a vision. And I will know, verse 4, that's a person who is aware of what he has to do. Then he tells us the kind of people that he refuses to let influence him. And by the way, these people weren't just alive at the time of David. They're on radio and television. And they're on E! and Entertainment Tonight. And they're the experts, you know what an expert is? It's a has-been who's under pressure. X is a has-been, a spurt is a drip under pressure. Look at what he says. He says, I'm not going to hand around with the slanderer, with the proud, verse 7, with the deceiver, the liar, or verse 8, the wicked. He said, I'm just not going to waste my time with these people. Because you see, you become like people you spend time with. If you hang around a gossip, you're going to become a gossip. If you hang around a liar, you're going to become a liar because they rub off on you. He says, I'm not going to let those kind of people rub off on me. Then he talks about the kind of people he's going to look for, and he just names two. Verse 6, he says, the faithful. And in verse 6, he says, the blameless. Now, here's the reality. You could have gone to children's camp and youth camp and Bible school and and disciple now and everything else and you could have been in refresh and you could have been in bible conferences and you could be a sunday school teacher or whatever but if you don't have convictions you're not going to make it now here's the deal folks we live in a country led by people in washington who don't have convictions they just check the wind to see where they can get a vote and if you're going to be a leader that stands out above the masses of people that are brainless in their thinking, you're going to have to have convictions that there are things that are right and things that are wrong. Because if black and white becomes gray, then everybody feels comfortable, but nobody is acting like they're supposed to. Here's a man with convictions. Now, that, that's his resolve. I want you to look at his philosophy. His philosophy. In verse 2, 
he talks about his conduct and his character. He talks about the blameless way and how he will walk in his house. So verse 2 applies to how we behave at home and how we behave when we're not at home. And guess what? You're either at home or you're not at home. Pretty much covers everywhere you are. Whether you're at home or not, he says it will be blameless. And he talks about what you watch, what you listen to. I'm amazed at the naivety of a younger generation that doesn't understand that everything you text, everything you text can be searched and found. You're sexting, you're texting, your Facebook post, and some of you will not get the job you want if you don't pay attention to your communications. Because there are people watching. I guarantee you, before anybody gets hired in this church, we check out Facebook, and we check out MySpace, and we check out, because I'm not going to hire somebody that pretends to be one thing here, and they're another thing when they get on social media. Why do you think it's called social media? Because it's out there. And it's going to be more and more that people are going to check that, and it could cost you a job. If you want to be unemployed, just write every thought you have in a text or a tweet or on Facebook. And watch how unemployment looks. Because nobody will trust you because you run down people in your social media. They will think they'll do it to me even if they're getting a paycheck from me. That's just reality. I'm just trying to give you a wake-up call. Some of you just need to get off of it because you can't control what you do with it. And you think it's really important, and it's really not. Anything you can't walk away from becomes a God in your life. Now, here's what he says. He says, the way is blameless. If you're always in need of noise or something going on, and you can't be quiet and be still, then it proves you've got an addiction to something, to social media, to television, to the internet, to the computer, whatever. You, you've got an addiction to it, and you can't walk away from it. Now, he talk, verse 2, he's talking about his motives and his manners. He said, I will give heed. That phrase means to instruct or to deal with matters in prudence or to act with insight. I'm going to think about what I'm doing in my home and away from my home. It was used in Isaiah of what God expected of the nation of Israel. It was used in Deuteronomy of what God expected of the people and how they would lose their land if they did not give insight and heed to God's instructions. Now look at the words. He says blameless or without blemish. That we are to be without blemish or complete or undefiled. Over half the references to this word blameless are used in the matter of a sacrificial animal. God expected a sacrificial animal to be blameless. Guess what? The person of integrity is not sinless, but they should be blameless. They should be above reproach. In a moral sense, it's linked to truth and virtue and righteousness. He says blameless, and he says, talks about the way which has to do with your course of life or your pattern of life. 
He talks about integrity, which means to be finished or to be whole or complete. It carries the idea of honesty. In other words, you don't say one thing to one person and another thing to another person. You're consistent in what you say. Now, that's his philosophy. Let's look at his attitude in verse 3. Simply put in verse 3, he was guarding his heart from arrogance or pride. He was guarding his heart from arrogance or pride. Verse 4 is his lifestyle. His lifestyle. He desires to walk consistently before God. You see, if we don't watch our lifestyle, we get hardened by the culture. We get jaded. We get insensitive. And then it takes something jarring in our life to wake us up and to get our attention because here's a principle. Nothing ever drifts right. This is a political principle. It's a life principle. It's a morals principle. Nothing ever drifts to the right. It always drifts to the left of leniency and compromise and trying to make everybody happy. Drifting to the right is not a conservative political term. Drifting to the right is it drifts toward God. But you don't drift toward God. You have to walk toward God. Because left to ourselves, we backslide. In fact, that's sometimes the best thing we do is backslide. We have to walk intentionally toward God. And you become like the people you spend time with. Because their lives become a part of your life, and then it becomes a part of your habit, and then before you know it, it's a part of your character. Now look at his social life, verses 5 through 8. He says, first of all, I will avoid the slanderer. I will avoid the slanderer. When he says destroy, (laughs) David's not saying, if you see a slanderer, kill him. That's not what he's saying. The the word destroy means to put an end to. He was not going to tolerate or let in the door of his home or into his life someone who was known as a slanderer because David had been slandered by Saul and by the friends of Saul. He knew what that was like. And he said, I'm not going to have slander in my kingdom. Watch a news cycle for 24 hours and see how much slander you get. It's not truth. It's not something positive. It's trash the other guy. You know what? I've got, a, I've got an idea for politicians. Either tell me what you're for or shut up. But quit slandering the other guy trying to... Listen, you don't get big making other people look small. You're just a midget trying to impersonate a giant. When you try to run somebody down and think that builds you up. David said, I am not going to hang around those kind of people. Secondly, he says, I will avoid the proud. Verse 5, the second part of verse 5. Now, pride reveals itself, according to this psalm, in two ways. In a haughty look and in an arrogant heart. It reveals itself in our face and it reveals itself in our heart the proud. He says, I will avoid the slanderer. I will avoid the proud. I will look for the faithful, verse 6. I'm going to look for people who love God. 
I'm going to look for people. Now, when you go off to college or when you go to your job, you better look for the right people because the wrong people are going to be there. And I can tell you this, statistics prove it. Jonathan Beasley was Garrett's youth minister for about 10 years. He was the college pastor at a church right across the street from the University of Arkansas. And this is what he said. He said, Michael, if I don't get those kids to church on the first Sunday after their parents leave, there's a 90% chance I will not get them until they realize how dumb they've been and they show up their junior or senior year, if I get them back at all. I'll tell you, your first Sunday, I don't care what, if you don't find a church, you have already told everybody on your hall you'd like to go to hell with them. That's exactly your testimony, so put it on your door. I'd like to go to hell with you. Show me how to get there quick. Because when you don't get up and make a statement with your life, you've made a statement with your life. You've made a decision with your life. He he says, I want to be around faithful people. Proverbs 20, verse 6, who can find a trustworthy man? Proverbs 31 and verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. By the way, you don't find an excellent wife looking in the wrong places. If, if they've been passed from one guy to another, to another, to another, to another, chances are they're not going to be an excellent wife. I will listen to the blameless, he says in verse 6, those who are beyond reproach. I will avoid deceivers, liars, and the wicked. So he says, I'm going to look for the faithful. I'm going to listen to the blameless. I'm not going to hang around with perfect people, but I'm going to hang around with people that are going somewhere and they're going in the right direction. And then he says, I'm going to avoid deceivers, liars, and the wicked. The one who practices deceit, uh, he says, it shall not dwell, means I will not let them come near to me. Now, let me tell you why this is important. When Terry and I were in college, we met a guy that she would tell you and I would tell you and others would tell you was the absolute most dynamic, charismatic guy I think we'd ever met in our lives. He influenced us on where we would go to seminary. I didn't go to seminary 90 miles away in New Orleans, although I had a free scholarship to go there. We went 22 miles, 22 hours away to Kansas City to go to seminary. And he influenced us to go there. And over the years... I would confront him when I would catch him in a lie. I mean, here was a guy, he could open his Bible and read the table of contents and people would get saved. He was amazing. But I began to notice something was wrong with him. When he was off the platform, I noticed something was wrong with him and I started catching him in lies. And I went to another group of guys that were guys that we all went to seminary together and I went to them and I said we've got to approach him and talk to him about this and none of them wanted to do it so I did and I called him on it I called him on it on the phone I called him on it to his face I called him on it in correspondence I said if you don't quit lying about things that don't even matter I don't care where you ate lunch It doesn't matter. Why do you lie about things that don't even matter? He was practicing deceit 
because he had such a poor self-image, he felt he had to build himself up to feel better about himself, and so he would lie about things that weren't even important. He lied to get jobs in churches. And finally, I said, I have to cut it off with you. I cannot be your friend. You cannot be my friend. I will pray for you. I love you. But I can't be your friend anymore because you are a deceiver and I'm at a point where I, you lie so well, I don't know when you tell the truth and when you're lying. So I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. About two years ago, he called me. Now, he's 62. This all was happening when we were in our 20s. Two years ago, he called me and he said, Michael, I need to apologize to you. And for my first thought is, here we go again. But this is what he said. He said, you're the only person that ever told me the truth and you didn't care whether it hurt my feelings or not. So I want to tell you something. I still don't have anything to do with him because after he told me that, I, I found out three more lies he had told. So I don't have anything to do with him. Can I tell you, there are people that will lie and cheat their way through school and if you hang around with them, you will get a job one day and think the way to get ahead is to lie and cheat. There are people who will steal to get ahead and if you hang around them, you will think, I can steal and get ahead. And you will for a while. And then you'll be number 357418C with a picture like this and a picture like this writing letters asking people to speak in your behalf on your good character, which we will not do. That's life. Can I tell you something? Most of you don't have people in your life that are telling you the truth. When your mom and dad are telling you don't do something or do something, they're telling you it because they want you to hear the truth. Now, you can go off to school and you can find a church where a guy will never talk about Jesus, never talk about holiness, never talk about righteousness, never talk about faith, never talk about being godly, and you can feel real comfortable there because you're going to have a ton of other people that call themselves Christians that are really nothing more than religious moralists, but they've never been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit that will tell you what you want to hear. And you think, oh, I can do this, 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 and this and still be a Christian. You can't if you read your Bible. It's a narrow road. It's not a wide road. It's a narrow road. It's not a wide road for us now that we've, you know, I, you know, I turned 60 this year. My oldest daughter turns 30 this year. They keep asking me where I'm going to pay for the trip to celebrate this. <laughs> but just because I've hit this point in my life, it's not a wide road for me. Parents, it's not a wide road for you when you say, I got them raised, I got them out. Praise God, the house is empty. That doesn't mean it's a wide road for you. Some parents have walked through this church, been very faithful, their kids graduate and go off to school, and we don't see them for months. They take a vacation from God, their kids, and everybody else. Some of them don't even leave a forwarding address. Can I tell you something? You show me, as an adult, as a teenager, you show me what your resolve and what your philosophy is, and I'll show you whether or not you're going to be a success or not. 
I can, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I can predict with 99% accuracy how your life is going to end up. And some of you are thinking, if I can just get across the stage, flip the tassel, take the gown off, and go get slobbering drunk, I'll celebrate. Let me tell you something. If that's your worldview, you're a fool. Look at who the Bible calls a fool. You're a fool if you think you can deny the things that you've heard today. If you've not heard them ever before, you're a fool. I'm not calling you that. God's calling you that. God talks about the foolish person. And you compare the wise and the foolish in Proverbs and your choice on graduation night and when you move away from home will be different if you're wise than it is if you're a fool. Don't let your testimony and the reputation of your life this year, next year, or 30 years from now be that you were foolish because you only get one shot at this. You don't get any more breaks. You don't get any do-overs. You don't get to come back and relive any of this. You get one shot. One shot. That's all. And I tell you, I have friends on Facebook who I went to high school with that are lost today because I was a fool in high school. Because I played church. Because I didn't live the way God wanted me to live. I heard it every Sunday. I was in the youth group. I was in the youth choir. I heard it. But I didn't live it. I separated that out and said, that's what I do on Sunday for an hour. But that's not the way I live the rest of my life. My best friend in high school, I have finally built a bridge back to him. He's lost doesn't know the Lord. A few years ago, he came to hear me preach for the first time. And I sat there while I was preaching and trying to preach to about four or 500 other people. I sat there and I could not get my best friend in high school that I did everything with. We went on double dates together all through high school. I, I, we did everything together. But I sat there thinking, would his life and his choices and his children have been different today if I had made better choices when I was in high school? Because you see, what the devil always brings up to him is, you know him from all the way back there. You know him. It's just a job for him just what he does for a living. He gets his kicks doing that, I get my kicks doing this. And he will probably, unless God graciously moves in, die and spend eternity in hell. And can I tell you something? Part of that blame will be on me. Because he was the guy that we walked off that stage and drove to Biloxi and just got drunk. And I ask myself the question now, 
Was that worth it? Oh, I know he's responsible for his life. I know he is. But you know what? I'm responsible too. Because I was an influence on him. In fact, I brought him to church with me. So you want to know what he, what he thinks about a hypocrite? He thinks about me in high school. Because I took him to church with me. He went to youth group. He'd go sit in the youth minister's office with me. But he knew I was playing a game, so it didn't cause him to feel like he needed to do anything but play a game. And I can take you to the night when he walked out of the church and as far as I know, except when he showed up to hear me preach, for almost 40 years, he had never darkened the door of a church since. I wasted my years leading up to graduation, and I wasted my years following graduation. Now, one quick story, because every good story ought to have a decent ending. When I graduated from college, Terry and I were married, and we were living in a $35 a month apartment, driving a Chevy Vega. It was the big life. The bathtub in the, bath in the apartment above us was coming down on us and down through the ceiling, and it was just kind of leaning at this angle, and I thought, Lord, I'm here to study for the ministry. Will I die with a tub on top of me? I just... tell you the difference between those two graduations between high school and college I got saved right after high school and I found a purpose for my life Terry surrendered to full-time Christian service before I did in fact she surrendered the night before I did we were in a revival with Rory Lee who is uh, on the faculty at Mississippi College and, and Rory was preaching a revival and Terry felt called to full-time Christian service the next night God called me for my graduation I got permission from the president of the school, Billy Graham was in town holding a crusade. And it was the last service was on a Sunday afternoon at Memorial Stadium in Jackson, Mississippi. There were about 450, 500 graduates. My parents were there. Terry was there. I got permission, and so when I took my diploma, I walked off that platform with my diploma. Instead of going back in the circle and sitting down with everybody else, I took that diploma and I walked out the back, went through the curtain, went to the truck loading dock. My family met me there and we drove to the Billy Graham Crusade where I was serving as a counselor supervisor and Terry was serving as a counselor. One graduation, I left and went to a bar in Biloxi, Mississippi. The second graduation, I was standing on a field leading people to Christ. I want to tell you something. I don't know the name of the person I was talking to. Terry doesn't remember the name of the person she was talking to. But I remember that a thousand people came to Christ that day on graduation. They graduated from death to life. I don't remember their names, but one day I'm going to see them again because there's something happened to me between graduation one and graduation two. Something significant happened in my life. The sad thing is, I do remember the name of the guy who's lost today because I didn't have any purpose when I was in high school. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.
I want all of us to ask a question. What's my resolve? What's my philosophy? What are my attitudes? And what's my lifestyle? Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and I'm going to ask you this morning, if you do not have purpose, and the first purpose is to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you do not have purpose today, then I want to beg you on the love of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God to give your heart to Jesus today. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to try to be better. I'm asking you to surrender to God today and let Him give you a life purpose. If you're a student here or a parent here, you could be a graduate or you could be in sixth grade or third grade. Live on purpose. Live with purpose. Make a difference. Make your life matter. Don't just spin the wheel and go through the circle and at the end of life you just die and it's over. Let there be more to your life than that. There's going to be a song of invitation. I'm going to ask you to just step out and just respond to what God has said to you today. Whatever it is, it may be that as a senior, you just need to step out and say, God, I need your power for what you have before me. I need your grace for what you have before me. It may be that you're the parent of a student that's graduating and you just need to come and pray together as a family. It may be that you're in the balcony or the back, wherever you are, and you just realize you had not had a lot of purpose in your life. And today you're going to choose to follow Jesus, which is the ultimate purpose and point of life. So as they sing and as we pray, you step out and come.